last few weeks on the program, we've been talking about the road to contentment. And so in today's message, it's time to make the rubber really hit the road. How can you move from discontentment to God-given contentment? I'm Bernie Diamond, and thank you so much for joining me again on Christianity Works. And look, at this time of the year, as we look ahead to what this year may hold, who knows what the world will throw at us? God has a plan, a plan for you to be at peace, even in the middle of the storm. So let's take a look. And do stay tuned, because in just a few minutes, I'll be sharing something special with you to help you live in victory on those days when the daily grind of life just seems to be grinding away at you more than it should be. The last time we talked about marriage and family on the program, last year I think it was, I had a number of requests from single people to talk about singleness. So today, as we chat about contentment again, I thought that that would be a great thing to do because there are some people who don't want to be married. There are some people who were never meant to be married. I was having dinner just the other night with a bunch of my classmates from the Royal Military College, Duntroon. Now, we graduated from the college over 30 years ago as officers in the Australian Army, so it it had been a while. One of the guys, a great bloke, salt of the earth, has never been married. He lives on a yacht, on a marina, and works at one of the large free-to-air television stations. Now, this guy is a live wire. He's always been that, and he always will be. (laughs) Some would call him eccentric. He is totally content being who he is, being single, and I doubt he will ever get married. Knowing him as I do, can I tell you, I think that's the right choice for him. No, I am not saying that everybody who's single is slightly eccentric. It's just one example. But I think sometimes the rest of us, the ones who are married, sometimes we think that people who have never been married and are never likely to be married are a little bit odd. But that's not the case. Some people are meant to be married and others aren't. It's exactly what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 19, verses 9 to 11. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for unfaithfulness and marries another commits adultery. So his disciples said to him, well, if that's the case, um, isn't it better not to get married? But he said to them, look, not everyone can accept that teaching, but only those to whom it is given. And so to me, when it comes to contentment and the decision to be married or single, that's the key. Some can accept the idea of being single. They like the idea of remaining single. And so it's an awesome choice for them. As we'll see in a moment, it frees them up to get focused on God's work without any restrictions or limitations. The rest of us need to see that as a perfectly valid choice. Others like me can't accept that. I'm not one to remain single. And so those people should seek out a wife or a husband, as the case may be, and get married. And again, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul says, expounding a bit on what Jesus said. Let's have a read. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 to 9. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is well for a man not to touch a woman. But because of cases of sexual immorality, Each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. 
do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a set time to devote yourselves to prayer and to come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This I say by way of a concession, not of a command. I wish that all were as I myself am. But each has a particular gift from God, one having one kind, another having a different kind. To the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it is well for them to remain unmarried as I am. But if they are not practicing self-control, then they should marry, for it is better to marry than to be aflame with passion. Some people might be surprised about the fact that the Bible is so direct about sexuality. But hey, our sexuality is a big part of who we are. And as we chatted about this the other day, we saw that God's plan is not for us to fulfill our sexual needs in a casual relationship. Sex is an amazing gift from God. It was, after all, his idea. And so he knows that we are designed for physical intimacy to occur in an exclusive bond that we call marriage. Not everyone has that need. Paul makes the point that he himself was single. I wish you all were as I am. Why? Because as a single person, you can very easily go and serve the Lord wherever he may call. And that's the key. Come back to it. God made me. God made you. He chose one life for me. He chose another life for you. We are all perfectly made to live the life that God's chosen for us. And that's the life we should be living. Again, the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17. However that may be, let each of you lead the life that the Lord has assigned, to which God has called you. This is my rule in all the churches. I've been in churches where single people aren't included in family barbecues. Somehow they're shunned. I've seen it. Perhaps you've seen it too. And those of you who are single have no doubt experienced it. I've experienced it from the receiving end. I was single and 36 years old, and often after church on Sundays, a few families would head off and go and have a barbecue together, and they wouldn't think to invite me along because I was single. I didn't have a family at the time. That really hurts. Some churches have singles ministries. Well, fair enough. But it's almost as though we put singles over there in one corner and segregate them from families. When you think about it, it's pretty crazy because if there's one thing a single person needs, it's other people around them. So I say to those who are single, if you're content being single, for goodness sake, stay single. Singleness is not a disease. It's something that God chooses for some people, and it's a high calling indeed, as it was for the Apostle Paul. It can be an absolutely wonderful way to live your life. It can be a completely satisfying way to live your life. In fact, the worst thing that a person can do who feels called to be single is to get married. I think that life would be just a nightmare. But if you're not content being single, then as Jesus says, the Apostle Paul says, for goodness sake, get married so that you can be completely fulfilled. Do what God made you to do. Be who God made you to be. Live the life that the Lord has assigned to which he has called you. One of the most difficult things is the situation, though, where someone finds themselves single again, either through the death of a loved one or through marriage breakdown and divorce. We don't have time to go into the single again situation fully today, but I promise that one day in the not-too-distant future, we'll do that. For the rest of us, we need to understand that those who were once married and now find themselves single again, they need our special love and care and understanding 
and support. People who have been divorced have typically been through a painful and bloody separation. It hurts terribly when this special God-anointed relationship between husband and wife, which was meant to last a lifetime, is torn apart. Is divorce a sin? Sure it is. But so are a lot of other things, and sin always hurts, and special compassion is required to love someone through that. Those who have lost their husband or wife too, they need our love and attention, particularly, let me say, the widows, for whom God has a very special heart. Psalm 68 verse 5 said that the father of the fatherless and the protector of the widows is God in his holy habitation. So, if you know someone who's single again for whatever reason, there is an opportunity, a great opportunity, to show the love and the mercy and the compassion of God because the transition from being married to being single is a tough one, as anyone who's ever been through it will tell you. And to all you singles out there, be content as you have so much time to spend with the Lord, to draw close to the Lord, to experience his presence in a unique and beautiful way. Let him be your all in all and cherish greatly your time with the Lord. I'm Bernie Diamond and you're listening to Christianity Works. Life can be hard work some days and as that daily grind just kind of grinds away at us, it's easy to forget that Jesus died and rose again to give us victory. Victory over sin, over our circumstances. Victory. That's why every video message that we record here at Christianity Works is available on our YouTube channel the daily fresh devotional videos, the weekly in-depth half-hour Christianity Works teaching, and even some in-the-moment, close-to-the-action videos that I shoot now and then. They're all available on our YouTube channel at ChristianityWorks.tv. Just subscribe to the channel and you'll be notified each time a new video is posted. It's simply amazing how powerfully the Spirit of God can move through even just a short video message. I guess we shouldn't be surprised. After all, the Word of God is alive and active. Amen. I'd love to encourage you too to live your life in victory. So again, that web address of our YouTube channel is ChristianityWorks.tv. Great stuff. Now let's head back into the Word of God, alive and active, with the power to transform our lives. Amen. You've had that experience, right? Things are going along okay, but then something happens at home or at work or maybe it's just something going on in your heart and the contentment you once had, bingo, it's gone. Have you ever stubbed your toe? You know, whack, you hit your big toe on a brick or something, ouch, it hurts. The rest of your body's fine. Your, your head's good, your eyes, your ears, your mouth, tick. Arms and legs, fine. Torso, nothing damaged, nothing hurting there. It's just this one little part of your body, your big toe, that is throbbing. And so despite the fact that every other part of you is fine, all your attention goes to your throbbing toe. And your sense of well-being has just evaporated in an instant. All the other good things that were going on around you are completely forgotten as you focus on your aching toe. Well, that's how it often is with our sense of contentment. You look around, the hilltops and the valleys, the nice sunny happy bits and the, and the not-so-sunny unhappy bits, and your attention has this habit of focusing, of fixating, if you will, on the one thing that's not going well in your life. You've done it, I've done it. It's a really common thing that happens to us. 
If we wait our whole life, all the blessings that God's given us in the overall scheme of things, we should be content. But, you know, it's like that throbbing toe. We just can't get our minds off that one thing. And that one thing is robbing us of our contentment. It might be a bit of tension at work. Maybe you have a difficult boss or a peer who's been undermining you. Perhaps one of your children is going through a really difficult phase in their lives or, or your wife or your husband isn't turning out to be all that you'd hoped for. Or maybe it's something really big and you feel like it's closing in on you, like, like you're in a dungeon. So what's the answer? How, how can you move from discontent to contentment? Well, I'd like to take you into a dungeon to show you how Paul and Silas did it. They'd healed a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and as a result, people weren't too happy because the owners used to make money out of her. So the crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they'd given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Well, about midnight, Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns to God and all the other prisoners were listening to them. But suddenly there's an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains fell off. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors were wide open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself because he thought that all the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Don't hurt yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights and rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside saying, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your whole household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And at the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. Then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. Acts chapter 16, verses 22 to 34. So, Paul and Silas had done the right thing, but a crowd had attacked them because no good deed ever goes unpunished, right? They're arrested, they're severely flogged, they're thrown into prison, into the innermost cell with their feet in stocks. There you go. That would be enough to rob you and me of our peace and contentment for the day, wouldn't it? I suspect that if we were in that prison cell with our wounds aching, We'd be angry or hurt or afraid, asking God what the blazes was going on, even sometimes shaking our fists at the Lord. That might be a natural reaction. But Paul and Silas, around midnight, we're told, were praying and singing hymns. Praying and singing hymns. Can you believe that? They were worshipping God. They, they were living through this misery with thankful hearts. And the rest is history. God came and busted them out of prison. There was such power in praise and thankfulness. When we rise above our circumstances, when we lift up our hearts and worship our Lord, He has the power to break us out of our prison of despair. The rest was history. The jailer was saved. He, he cares for them. He feeds them. He washes their wounds. His whole household is saved. And the next morning they're released. The single most unnatural act when we're in that dungeon with our feet in stocks 
is to praise God, to pray, to sing songs, to lift our hearts, to lift our eyes, to lift our hands heavenward and worship God. But that's exactly what we need to do because that act of worship is music to God's ears. That act of worship from the heart is how we connect with the Lord amidst our desperate circumstances. That act of worship is what so often triggers a powerful intervention from God to change everything. The number of times in my life when I've been sitting in my usual chair in my study early in the morning facing this issue or that issue, and I've just taken him at his word and started to worship him and started to give thanks and started to praise him, even though that's the last thing I felt like doing. The number of times he has come and broken me out of my prison cell of despair. Well, I've just simply lost count. God shows up every time. I get up and I walk away from those encounters with a sense of of joy and peace and contentment despite the circumstances. To me, it's like a miracle. How does God do that? I'm really not sure, but he does. He does it again and again and again. The way we move on from our discontentment is to worship God. It's that simple. And if you don't believe me, try it. It works. It happened to Paul a second time some years later. He was in a Roman prison, chained to his guard, waiting his death sentence. Now, this short passage from Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 is going to be familiar to many, but there are two words that I bet you've glossed over, as I did for many years, two words that change everything. Paul says, Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Did you pick which two words I was talking about? With thanksgiving is the key. How often do we go to the Lord with a problem and we grumble and we complain as though he's some call centre operator who can fix a problem in our bank accounts? I don't know, but... I imagine he must get sick of the stinking attitudes from us over and over again as we grumble and complain. Oh, God, what are you doing? His call is to go to him with thanksgiving in our hearts, with thanksgiving on our lips, with a sense of wonder and anticipation of what he's going to do, with a sense of expectation over the good things he's going to do. And like any good dad, when he sees one of his kids coming to him with the right heart, with the right attitude with an attitude of faith, he can't help himself in his great and mighty heart, filled with boundless love for us. God can't help himself. He has to act because he loves us. And just at the right time, he'll bust you out of your prison of despair and discontentment. He'll break the shackles that hold you. He'll set you free with joy and with peace and with contentment in your heart. He is such a wonderful God. He loves you so much. Go to him with thanksgiving in your heart. I'm Bernie Diamond and you're listening to Christianity Works. Life very definitely has its ups and downs, not to mention the fact that even when things are going well, our own foibles and failures have this amazing ability to rob us of the good things that God has planned. That's why living your best life, the life that God always had planned for you, takes power. I mean, serious power. And that's why I'd love to send you a free copy of my latest life application booklet, Holy Spirit Power. 
And with the life application questions at the end of each chapter, you'll be able to chew things over to apply God's Word on power right into the realities of your life. God's Word is alive and active. Amen. So I'm praying that He'll help you lay hold of the incredible power that He has ready and waiting for you. The power to be all that He made you to be through this booklet. You can request your free copy at ChristianityWorks.com. You'll see that offer right there towards the top of the homepage. Just click on it, pop in your name and email, and that e-booklet will be on its way to your inbox in just seconds. That web address again is ChristianityWorks.com. Now let's head back into God's Word. Well, over these last few weeks, we've been talking a lot, an awful lot, about being content. God's plan is for us to be content. In his scheme of things, he places a very high value indeed on your contentment and mine. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, the Apostle Paul writes this. Of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. Contentment is about not needing or wanting the next fix, whatever it is that you happen to be addicted to. As we saw last week, Girls or guys, as the case may be, gold and glory are three things that we can so easily become addicted to and ensnared by. And they're just three of the things that we can get hooked on. There are plenty more. Whenever we're hooked on one particular sin, our Achilles heel, if you will, we're always going to be robbed of contentment. Contentedness is that that thing that we feel when we're happy to accept who we are and who we aren't what we have and what we don't have, what we're capable of doing and what we're not capable of doing. It's independent of our circumstances and contentment is always accompanied by godliness. In fact, there's a cause and effect relationship. No godliness, no contentment. That's why sin always robs us of contentment. But I don't for one minute want you to think that I'm promoting complacency. These are two entirely different things. What I'm not talking about is becoming a spiritual couch potato and just sitting there and not striving to achieve anything and not engaging with the problems of life and not serving other people and and not sacrificing to do the Lord's work. We're so easily lulled into this false idea that contentment happens when everything in our little universe is going exactly as we please. Ha, then we can relax, then we can sit back, then we can enjoy life without stretching ourselves, without being challenged, without even beginning to think about what the Lord wants us to do with our lives, who he wants us to help, what the sacrifices are in following him. Jesus made it very clear that if anyone wants to follow him, then he or she should take up their cross and follow him. In other words, be prepared to make sacrifices. Be prepared for it to be hard and challenging and painful and be prepared to give your whole life over to him. Because if you try and save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you're prepared to lose your life for his sake, Jesus' sake, then you'll save it. That's a paradox that applies to life and is a paradox that applies equally to this all too elusive for some thing called contentment. Because the more we try and go the easy road, the comfortable road, the road that we've been told leads to contentment, the less contented we become. The more we stuff ourselves with stuff, the more bloated and listless and discontented we become. The more we try to use what we have to look after ourselves, the more elusive and fleeting contentment becomes. 
I come back to it again, what Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17. However that may be, let each of you lead the life that the Lord has assigned, to which God has called you. At the end of the day, contentment only happens when we're living the life that God's called us to, the one he chose for us before time began, the one he handcrafted us, purpose-built us to live. You and I know square pegs do not fit in round holes, yet all too many people are trying to remake themselves in the world's image when all along they were formed in God's image. You were made to be you. You were made to be good at what you're good at and lousy at what you're lousy at. You were made specifically to live the life that God's planned for you. So go and be you. Go and live that life. The only one that's going to work for you is the life that God's assigned to you. The one where you won't find the pot of contentment at the end of the rainbow. No, it's not how it works. Because if you live the life that God chose for you, he will give you his contentment on the journey. It's just the way he does it. here at Christianity Works is to see your life powerfully transformed as you draw ever closer to Jesus in a rich, dynamic relationship with Him. So if you'd like to go even deeper, then let me encourage you to stop by and explore ChristianityWorks.com where you'll find a wealth of messages on all sorts of different subjects straight out of God's Word and conveniently arranged so that you can find exactly what you need for today. There's so much there for you your free subscription to our daily fresh devotional so that you can receive a powerful scripture and some words of inspiration, hope and encouragement each day by subscribing to the free daily devotional. And remember, we'd love to pray for you. Just click on the powerful prayer icon at the bottom of the homepage. Everything at ChristianityWorks.com is free, including that booklet I mentioned earlier, Holy Spirit Power. Don't miss out on that one. With all my heart, I know that Jesus wants to have a powerful impact on your life to help you be all that he made you to be. So go on, head across to ChristianityWorks.com and be blessed. I'm Bernie Diamond. Catch you again same time next week with another message of God's love, God's grace, and God's power for each one of us in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ.